gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar, and a little oil in a jar. I am now gathering a couple of sticks, so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be empty, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did as Elijah said, so that she, as well as he, and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not empty, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
So reading from the letter of Paul to the Galatians, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the Church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles. I did not confirm any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once to Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stray with him fifteen days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not want. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. The Gospel of the Lord. The two crowds meet at the city gates. 
and again, this is a totally stressful moment in time. Jesus is trying to speak to his people through the most unlikely of messengers, and I am aware of great dis-ease as I imagine the relations dubiously reading Paul's letter. Why is it that these blessings, healings, and miracles seem so fraught with tension? Two more stories. One. Last Sunday, a small group of us, four adults and four teenagers, went to church at Common Cathedral, an outdoor congregation of homeless people who meet on the Boston Common. The sermon that day was about healing, and the preacher passed around the microphone, inviting others to share their stories of healing. After a few people had shared, a woman off to the side asked for the microphone. She looked like she had lived 50 or 60 years of a very hard life. She was smoking a cigarette, and the smoke billowed around the microphone as she spoke in harsh bursts of anger. A good friend had framed her for murder, and she was so angry. Vulgarities and malice laced her testimony, and I glanced at the kids who were present, reminding myself that they were young adults and not small children. They could handle it. Still, my shoulders tightened, and I hoped she would finish as she went on, I wondered if she would even mention feeling or if she was simply taking an opportunity to vent her anger. And then she did mention feeling in an offhanded kind of way. In almost the same tone of voice that she had voiced her anger, she ended by saying that she had found Common Cathedral and that the people here accepted her. So, Thank you very much. And she pushed the microphone back to the picture with a slight smile on her don't mess with me face. And I realized that I had just been witness to grace. God had brought loving community into the life of one of his own who had been navigating an impossible life and while there was tension, the grace is what saved me. One last story. Three weeks before my sister and I both graduated from college, my beloved, vibrant, 79-year-old grandmother fell at a May Day breakfast and broke too many bones. After three weeks in the hospital, the giving of final bits of advice, her request that one of us please go finish the jigsaw puzzle that she had passed down on her dining room table, and many tears on my part. She had become so impatient to die that she essentially told us that she would wait until both graduations were over, and then she was going to leave us. My grandmother had enjoyed a beautiful love affair with my grandfather, and he had been taken by cancer 20 years previous. She was impatient 
she apologized to my sister the next day because she had forgotten that my sister's graduation was the following day and not the same day as mine. Tension, sadness, a sense that she was too young to be taken from us, anticipation of what was next, and gratitude for this woman were too tightly bound up in each other to discern one from the other. On Monday, after all the graduation festivities had passed, I held the hand of her broken earthly body as she stepped into a silver mercury convertible and cruised into the arms of eternity. When God is doing something big, I have a feeling that tension is just part of the game. Maybe it's a way to get our attention. But I think more likely, it's just an inevitable companion to the change that is happening in the wake of God's transformative work. What would happen, I wonder, if when we found ourselves strained by the tensions of life and relationships and general survival, we stopped to watch and listen and discern what God might be up to in our midst. When life throws us off balance, perhaps the only way to regain equilibrium is by noticing and catching hold of whatever God is up to. Because in the collision of two crowds at the gates of pain, Jesus brought a boy back to life and saved his mother from destitution. In the begging of food from a starving widow, God brought bounty to the hungry. In the words of an ex-persecutor of Christianity, billions of Christians over two millennia have found faith. In the testimony of an angry woman on the streets of Boston, contagious gratitude flowed forth. And in the struggle between life with her adoring family and life eternal with God and her beloved, my grandmother was swept into the arms of God with unbelievable grace. So I wonder, what is God up to in the tensions of my life today, in the tensions of your life today, in the tensions of our life as a community? And are we open to seeing and joining God in that sacred work? May we have the perseverance to pause in our attention and see clearly the hand of God. Amen.
pray for your holy Catholic Church. In the Anglican Cycle of Prayer, we pray for the Diocese of Northern Mexico, Mexico, for Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury, and for reconciliation in the world of the wide Anglican Communion. In our Diocesan Cycle of Prayer, we give thanks for the ministries of Christ Church Medway, Trinity Church Melrose, St. Andrew's Church in Dewan, Church of Our Savior Middlebrook, Mystic Valley Deanery. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. I ask your prayers for Catherine, the presiding bishop, for Tom and Gail, the bishops, for Tony and Becky, our priests, and for Rob, Marie, Judy, Janet, and Spencer, our priest associates. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. I ask your prayers for Barack, our president, and Duval, our governor. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. We pray especially for Dick, Bob, Jack, Rahat, Jim, Tony, Eleanor, Molly, Tom, Raj, Peter, Howard, Jerry, DeRoche, Sheila, June, Pat, Helen, Sabina, Jacqueline, Kathy, Pat, Mary, Marie, Mary, Elizabeth, Monica, Jane, Judy, Sandy, Sharon, Lang, Edie, A.D., Liz, those without jobs, those serving in the military, and all who work for peace, and the people of Moore, Oklahoma. Are there others? Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We pray for the repose of the soul of the potential Father of Janet Henshaw. We pray you for your sakes to enter into joy.
Thank you. 